Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the Face 4 Radio and the voice for being a mime, but I am still your host. I am flying solo today as Lindsay had a last-minute meeting come up. But today, our very special guest, all our guests are very special, I guess, is Josh Collinsworth. How are you doing, Josh? Hi, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I have a similar face and voice. <laughs> now, nah, I like your voice better than mine already. I know you have, you know, from the video, we can see that we both share an amazing haircut, which is no hair. Yes. But that's that's always appreciated. So, Josh, why don't you give us a little background? Tell us where you are, what you do, why you're famous, and so on. <laughs> well, I'm not famous, so that'll be easy. Um, well, not yet. Once this comes out, you'll be well, very yes, famous. Obviously. Just as a warning, you know. Yeah, so. right. I'll be minting NFTs of my face left and right. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I, I'm not into NFTs. Um, I am a developer from uh, Omaha, Nebraska. I... Um, I originally was a graphic designer, but I kind of made the switch to developer after I started kind of learning and really sort of uh, falling in love with it more and more. And currently I work as a front-end developer for Shopify. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv. And I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are gonna help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you wanna be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I wanna give you the resources that are gonna help you do that. We're gonna have career and leadership resources in there, and we're gonna be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Oh, okay. Okay. So let's just be curious. I've always seen Shopify, but never really played with it myself. So talk a little bit about how Shopify works. Now, if I remember correctly, I think what you can create a store where you use all their site, but at the same time, can you also like create a store through your own site using their APIs or how exactly does Shopify work if you want to use it to set up a store? A little yeah. diversion here. Yeah, I, um, full disclosure, I'm still relatively new at Shopify, so I, I might not be the best guest to go in depth on that. But um, basically, anything you want to do with e-commerce, you can do it with Shopify, yes. So if you are just maybe a merchant who wants to set up a quick and easy shop and have it just be kind of a easy interface for you to just get up and running, you can do that. There's um, retail and POS stuff. There's, there's also, like, if you're a developer... There are APIs that you can use. You can customize your store. Rolling out a lot of new stuff in that area as well. There's some new um, React-based things, some APIs and libraries and platforms even that we're rolling out. It's, I mean, it, the the scope of stuff we're doing is uh, just massive. There's even like um, capital and uh, logistics solutions. Just really anything you want to do with e-commerce, uh, Shopify is there to make it better for you. Awesome. So does Shopify, since we're on a somewhat JavaScript-based podcast, 
Uh, does Shopify have a specific framework or set of tools that you use for the JavaScript side of things? Or is it one of those micro front ends where different teams use different things? Or the, the short answer is that the company is pretty well all in on React oh, okay. um, and even has a, I don't know if you'd call it a framework or a library, but like a, a React design system? Design system, yeah, component library thing called Polaris in React. But I think there is, I mean, it's so huge. It seems like there is or, or is beginning to be a little bit of autonomy between teams, not maybe for the core product, but for maybe some marketing sites or things like that. <laughs> this is a, don't quote me too much on this. This is a little bit just my perception so far. But overall, I would say the company is kind of centered around React. And that's partly because of React Native and, and having uh, mobile apps in that as well. Okay, you heard it for your first. Josh Collins works in the Shopify users React. <laughs> I, I think that's fair enough. <laughs> Good. Yeah, we were uh, we were talking before we started recording here about how he lives in Omaha, Nebraska, and I have some family there, and there's some other well-known JavaScript podcasters that live in the area. So mm-hmm. it seems like uh, Omaha is quite the JavaScript or tech mm-hmm. hub, maybe. Huh? Who knows? Uh, is Shopify is they are are you remote for Shopify? Yes, uh, okay. Shopify. They already were pretty well distributed, but they just said screw it and went officially 100% remote forever uh, uh-huh. at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh-huh. Uh, that was before I joined, of course. Right. By the way, uh, Zach Leatherman of 11D, I believe, is also in Omaha. Oh, wow. Yeah, I just saw Didn't they just come out with 1.0? They did. Did I say that correctly? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Saw that in one of my many JavaScript newsletters that uh, <laughs> were at 1.0. Got some notable stuff going on in this little flyover state. Yeah, yeah, not bad. Not bad. All right. So let's talk about what we're here to talk about, which is a blog post that Josh wrote called Introducing Svelte and Comparing Svelte with React and Vue. So why don't you tell us, I guess, what caused you to write this blog post (laughs) and what was your inspiration and then what you wrote to compare them or how you compared them? Sure. I guess I should mention, (laughs) probably should have mentioned in the intro, um, I do some blogging uh, just for my own personal site. And I've done some freelance writing for some other publications as well. Mostly my personal website, I just kind of treat like a lot of developers do, I think, just as a, a little playground for me to have fun and experiment. And every once in a while, I'll get inspired to write a post. And that's usually about the latest uh, redesign or rebuild that I've done on my website. I have had it be everything from just static HTML and CSS to WordPress to headless WordPress. And then I was on um, static Gridsome for a while. And the latest rebuild this year was with SvelteKit. A little while after it came out, I decided to try it out and kind of figured that the best way to do that was to just do a full rebuild and honestly had a blast doing it. And I started writing about that. And the more I wrote about it, the more I realized I was writing two posts at the same time. One was kind of an intro to Svelte. And one was the actual process of remaking the site. So I split it into two and did a full intro to Svelte. And I learned React first, like I think a lot of people probably did. Um, I started diving into React, mm, I want to say late 2017. And then I learned Vue maybe six months later. And Vue really resonated with me. I really, really liked it. And in a lot of cases uh, felt, wow, this is React would be like if it was nice. Um, (laughs) And I started playing with Svelte a while after that. And I really liked it, but I didn't have any serious need for it. And so that was kind of part of the reasoning too, was 
you know, I want to have a, a foot in the Svelte world. I want to have a project that's moderately serious that I work on with Svelte. So I'll try that out and just really liked it and just wanted to kind of bring it to my audience, whoever that may be, in kind of the same way that I thought about it, like going from React to Vue to Svelte and kind of the, the, the way they approach things very similarly. You know, if you know one framework, it's going to be a lot easier to learn another one in a lot the same way that, you know, after you learn your first instrument, the second one's probably going to come a lot easier. But there are those subtle differences and the way they kind of learn from each other as well and their approaches. So that's really what it's all about. I am a little biased. I really love Svelte and Svelte Kit, and I had a great time. But I, I think it's uh, interesting to look at them side by side and take a few examples of common things you might use a framework for and see what that looks like in every one of those frameworks. Right on. So, uh, yes, Svelte is certainly it's one of those things that I have on my list of things I really want to start to learn when I have time. Yeah. You know, I can remember when it first came out and Svelte Kit was Sapper, if I remember, which is mm-hmm. sort of the the next and next equivalent with Svelte. That's um, and obviously, you know, the, the whole thing about Svelte is that it's a compile time instead of runtime thing. So it compiles down to basic JavaScript, it's supposed to be more Svelte or slimmer. Yes. And faster, faster for sure. So yeah, definitely uh, one of those things I know. Scott Talinsky at, at Syntax has gone whole hog on it and totally mm-hmm. redid his entire platform in, in Svelte Kit and has been done courses on it and stuff. So it's certainly taken off. And then just for a little background, Rich Harris, who started Svelte when he was at the New York Times, recently left the New York Times and went to Vercel, I believe, yep. and is now working at Vercel full-time, whether or not he's actually working full-time on Svelte or part-time i'm not sure but uh, it's svelte has certainly moved up in the world yeah 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 you mentioned scott talinsky i think his uh, just kind of going all in on it was one of the things that inspired me to really give it a serious shot because he's obviously got more of a more of a risky proposition in front of him if he's moving his whole course platform over um, and i'm just moving my blog um but yeah uh, as i understand it rich harris is going to be doing it full-time for Vercel now uh, which is exciting for everybody in the community because it, it can you know get get his full attention and have kind of the backing of a, a major player in the industry behind it so that's really exciting right so so i gave sort of a very high level overview of svelte any other details uh, you want to talk, you know, without going too deep. Sure. You touched on that it is different mainly from React and Vue in that it kind of moves as much as it can to the compile step. There is no, like you could load React or Vue in the browser as a script if you wanted to. And you can't mm-hmm. do that with Svelte because it is a, if you want to get technical, <laughs> Svelte is a compiled superset of HTML. So you need to compile Svelte before it can get to the browser. But that approach has the advantages, like you mentioned, of very small bundles. You don't need a virtual DOM that way. Right. And so the performance and the bundle size tends to be a lot better. It is worth mentioning, all of these frameworks have been kind of learning from each other and and taking the best approaches from each other. So the performance difference between, in particular, between Svelte and Vue is a lot less than it used to be. And in fact, I think in Vue 3, they're pretty neck and neck and even Vue comes out ahead sometimes. So the real value proposition of Svelte beyond that is just a very nice authoring experience 
the syntax is very simple and minimal and you can get a lot done with very little code and it's just i would say a pleasure to write in so basically if, if i remember correctly from the little course i did take when you're writing svelte you're basically just using basic javascript right there's no not too many sveltisms or like use directives and sure. lines and other stuff like that. It's, it, the goal is to be just plain JavaScript, right? For the most part, yeah. You just write your normal variables, constants, functions, whatever. There's one small exception that I can think of in the JavaScript portion, which is that you can make any expression reactive. And that's you do that with a dollar sign and colon operator. Right. Um, and then, of course, in the actual HTML syntax, you have your um, ifs and your loops and stuff like that. But that's really it, I believe, as far as, you know, special syntax or uh, framework isms. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's talk about your post. And so we've established your bona fides in Svelte and React and Vue. So let's talk about your post. So sure. how did you do the comparison between the three? So I originally was writing. So this blog is a Markdown powered blog, and I, I'm doing the comparisons just having multiple code blocks followed by each other. And I sort of suddenly had this light bulb moment where I thought, wait a second, I can actually make a component for this. I'm making this blog in Svelte. Why, why don't I do that? So as you scroll down this article, you'll see there are several places where you have tabs where you can tab between a given component or code example in Svelte, React, and Vue. Sometimes I separate between Vue 2 and Vue um, 3.2 because 3.2 is where we got the setup script, which is real nice. Mm -hmm. That's another thing I think where um, the frameworks kind of learn from each other. And I, I, I don't, I don't know this for sure, but the that setup script in Vue 3.2 onward really feels like kind of Svelte, I think. But we in the post we go through a few real basic component examples that you might find in documentation or guides or, you know, tutorials, that kind of thing. Just look at how they're built, see how they work in the browser, and then look at how you'd build each one in each of these frameworks. Right. Yeah. You just go back a minute. You mentioned how the setup script seems sort of svelte with the view in the implementation of view 3.2. It's interesting to see how these uh, frameworks, these different tools will borrow from each other. Mm -hmm. and sort of come closer together. Mm -hmm. You know, you've heard how React's hooks, you start seeing things in V3 that are similar implementations called different things. So yeah, it's, that's certainly one of the overriding themes of open source is how everybody borrows from each other. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe yeah, tweaks it a little bit to make it unique. And you I know, mean, like it, a, it, sort of like a, a news channel will call it, take an AP feed and then tweak it to make it slightly unique, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sure. and, and to create a new story. Sure. So, and I was going to say, credit where it's due, um, a, a lot of the advancements we've had in recent years were uh, kind of brought about by React hooks and the sort of tree shaking and composability you get from that approach. So mm -hmm. it's fun. It's it's one of those situations where you as the developer really kind of benefit from the, I don't know if you, I don't know if competition is the right word in the space, but definitely from people kind of taking those ideas and adding their own improvisations on them. Yeah, for sure. So I'm just looking at some of the tools you've done. So you do the, you know, some of the more ubiquitous JavaScript or programming examples, at least on JavaScript, try like a counter where you click on a button to increment a counter, mm -hmm. toggling some hidden content, do a little slider. See so yeah, how you do that in here. So it's just little self-contained examples. Mm -hmm. 
I guess. Okay. As yeah. compared to like one big app where I wrote this or, and I wrote this and I did this. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I remember, I know in the past I've seen John Papa, who's a well-known angular guy and done full on apps, you know, with different things, but he's got the skills to do that for sure. Yeah. So oh, we even got styling, conditional styling, global styling components. So yeah, so read the, read the blog post and obviously we'll have the link to the blog post in the show notes. And a lot, it looks like a lot of this, you're talking about Svelte. <laughs> you know, this is Svelte and this is great with Svelte and this is great with Svelte. Sure. So there are definitely, I, I, I came out ahead on that aspect of it. I know, um, not necessarily meaning to, mm-hmm. that was just kind of a reflection of how I was feeling at the time. You know, it's the new thing I'm, I'm working with it now. I really like it. I do think there are some examples you see in here there where you click between the, them and, and there are some times where I go, man, that that view syntax is really nice, or I, I actually do kind of like the way React handles it in this exact case. So uh, mm-hmm. even though I myself uh, might be a little biased, uh, I th- hope that at least it shows, hey, all of these frameworks really do have some great qualities to them, and they're all very good tools. So after writing this and this post and comparing the three different frameworks, or four if you look at Vue 2 and 3.2 in some cases, what were your your big uh, takeaways? I I mean, my personal takeaway, I am a big fan of Svelte right now. You know, if I'm spinning up a Greenfield project, it's probably what I'm going to be working with. But I do see some of these examples, especially with, I think, loops. Vue has a really nice way of handling those very succinctly. And one thing that Vue also has that none of these others have is a much more robust props system mm-hmm. where you get to you know, define what a prop should be as far as like its type and things like that. It sure. seems like seems like Svelte and React have both kind of just decided, well, if you want that, use TypeScript. Oh, um, I see. Okay. My other big takeaway, I, I did kind of expect, because a lot of times you see examples when people are comparing frameworks, it'll be like, I had this component and it was 200 lines and I rewrote it in Svelte and it was three lines or something like that. And that's an exaggeration, of course, but I expected <laughs> something kind of dramatic like that to happen. And it actually wasn't the case. Um, before I was on Gridsum, um, which is another pre 1.0 framework, but uh, built on Vue, it's the uh, Gatsby equivalent right. uh, for Vue. Mm-hmm. And so part of me was thinking, hey, I think this is going to be a lot smaller. My code files are going to be a lot smaller. And it didn't actually turn out to be the case. Um, some even wound up being a little larger uh, in terms of you know line count. But I found myself just enjoying the syntax a little bit more personally. I mentioned how Svelte's just real nice and simple. You can get a lot done without writing a lot. The, the boilerplate seems to be really low comparatively. So while I I, I, I don't want to be, you know, the the Svelte fanboy or, or here to say it's better than everything else because that, that wouldn't be fair. And I still do love uh, Vue very much. But I, I think I just, my main feeling coming out of it is, man, this is really cool. And I really like this. And I just kind of want to share this and hopefully uh, show how cool it is to some other people. Mm, yeah, I think we'll, we'll title this episode Views on Svelte. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I can't remember if we mentioned this before or if we mentioned this during. Apologies. It all sort of jumbles together in my mind. You said from a performance standpoint, I believe that sometimes Svelte is better, but sometimes Views is better, especially with Vue 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Vue 3 made some... I've seen comparisons going both ways, and it's it's tough to know, really. Performance is kind of tough to compare unless you're building exactly the same thing with 
exactly the same needs and use cases and everything. But I've seen both of them come out ahead in various tests compared with each other. And a lot of times they're they're pretty close. They're very even. So performance used to be one of the sort of main differentiators of Svelte. But as far as we're talking about V3, I don't think that's really the case anymore. Mm, okay. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. So side note a little bit, I know having come from the Drupal world myself, one of the things I noticed was when Gatsby first came out because the guy was a Drupal developer before he developed Gatsby. Oh. And got into React. And then Gridsome came out. So mm-hmm. Gridsome was obviously designed to be sort of the view-based Gatsby alternative for a static site generator. Mm-hmm. And I know Lindsay has had her blog in uh, Gridsome before. I was played with Gridsome. I can't remember if the blog was in Gridsome. So as someone who's played with Gridsome, I guess one of the questions I have in relation to Nuxt and not necessarily because Next 3 is out in beta or you know Next 2 or Next 3, but considering that Next can also do static site generation, do you think, does Gridsome have anything that Next doesn't in terms of that? In other words, if you want to do a static site generator, you know, a static site, you know, that's generated all your HTML at build time, mm-hmm. do you need Gridsome or can, can Next do everything that Gridsome can do? I think... I think the main compelling use as far as Gridsome is concerned is that it has a GraphQL API for your data sources built in. Uh-huh, okay. Which I gather is uh, similar to Gatsby or the same mm-hmm. as Gatsby. Um, right. I think you might choose Gridsome, or at least I would, if I really wanted that API or maybe if I was pulling in data from lots of disparate sources uh-huh. and I really needed to get it kind of all lumped together in the same API to use this content. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But aside from that, it seems like Gridsome's development has stalled, and I'm, I'm not sure what the status is on that. I haven't seen an update for a good while now. So if you, know, if you were on the fence, knowing that Nuxt has a lot of momentum behind it right now kind of makes it a safer, I guess, feeling choice. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as far as the differences, as far as what they can both do, I think that GraphQL API being built in from the start is probably the main thing Gridsome has that Nux doesn't. And I don't know of anything else. Yeah, because just doing some Googling around, there's plenty of information on there about how to use GraphQL with Nux. You know, there's Apollo libraries and there's other options it looks like. So it's not that you can't, I don't think it's that you can't use GraphQL with Nux, it says, but sure. Gridsome is sort of built in and part of the core. Right. I will say Gridsome's built-in image component is one of the nicest ways to handle images I've ever seen in a library. Mm-hmm. And 
Uh, that is one thing I do miss about SvelteKit, actually, is that so far it's built on top of V. So if you want to do some image processing, that capability is there, but you're doing it using V to not, re it's not really a first class citizen of SvelteKit itself yet where Gridsome just had this image component and you just dropped it in almost like a normal image tag and it would automatically generate the source set and a nice little blurred preloading image for you. Oh, really? Was, yeah, really, really great. And I think Nuxt has an image module that does all it, of that now. Yeah, it does. Nuxt image, I was just looking that up. I'm going to put it in the show notes, uh, image.nuxtjs.org. Yeah. Yeah, uh, a couple of years ago was when I was really using Gridsome. And at the time, I don't think the image module was out. And I don't think the content module was out either. But these days, I think I think Nuxt would be a pretty safe recommendation for any new view project. And Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, all right. So before we move on, anything else on this comparison that, uh, that you want to talk about? Any view versus develop issues that may make or break somebody's <laughs> decision? <laughs> No, I don't think so. There is a section, well, I'm going to go back on that, I guess. There is a section at the end where I just kind of talk about some of the debates that go on within the community when it comes to choosing frameworks. Mm. I think that happens more frequently, probably when the comparison is React than when it's Vue. But there, there are some arguments that get tossed around a lot, like, oh, Svelte's new, it has a much smaller community, you know, it might not scale as well. And I do take some time to address each of those points because uh, I think... Well, they're, I think maybe they used to be more true than they are now, and there's plenty to be said on both sides of those. So I uh, do take the time to address that, hey, I know there's not a lot of Svelte packages out there, but part of the reason is you don't really need packages with Svelte like you might in order to, say, work with React hooks or something like that. And how, uh, you know, the there are concerns with the scale, but those concerns probably aren't going to be realistic for the scope of most projects. Right. Well, the fact that they're using on sites like the New York Times or some of these other places sort of indicates that it might be able to handle some You're scaling. Right. Yeah, the New York Times uh, COVID tracker that I try to avoid looking at every day is a <laughs> uh, Svelte app, which is pretty awesome. Right. Okay. Well, we've got a little time, so let's talk about something more, I guess, next specific is a game you've built. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, to, I think you said Quina is how you pronounce it. That's how I say it, at least. Yeah. So where does that name come from? Is that something you just pulled out of thin air or does it have any particular relevance? Mostly. <laughs> so it, this is timely because Wordle is blowing up right now. And Quina is a similar game to Wordle, um, although it came out last December, December 2020. And they're both kind of versions of the same game. It's a five letter word guessing game. With Wordle, you it, it just tells you whether a letter a given letter is in the right place in the word or not. But with Quina, when you guess your word, your five-letter word, it's going to tell you how many letters are in the right place and how many are not. But it's not going to tell you which ones are which. So there's a little more sort of strategy and deduction that goes into it. Um, it's a little bit more of a logic game. But anyway, the uh, Quina, any game, any word that you're trying to guess is a five-letter word with no repeated letters. And so I thought, wouldn't it be fun if the name of the game was a five-letter word with no repeated letters? And <laughs> I uh, went down a Google rabbit hole and started looking for words that mean five or something similar. And according to something I found on Google, Quina is an old Latin word that means five at a time. So I thought that's Perfect. I'm going to go with that. Well, that makes sense. I mean, quintuplets, five. Right. It's quint, you know, five. So, yeah, that makes, that actually makes sense. I must, uh, I guess I'm behind the game eight ball that I have never even 
played World, much less heard of it. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> um, if you're if you're on um, Twitter, and I assume probably other social media as well, you, you'll probably see people tweeting out these grids of black and uh, yellow and green boxes uh-huh. that that show how their game went, um, which is a really interesting sort of social dynamic to it. But it's a game that. Let me see. I, uh, I believe the the guy who made it, his last name is Wardle. And so he... Josh Wardle. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so he made the game Wardle. And as I recall reading, he just made it for his partner to play. And it, you just get one game a day is kind of the interesting thing about it. So you play once and uh-huh. it just... It's, it's not... It's kind of cool in that it tracks all of your progress and your games and everything locally you know there's no advertising there's no monetization even the social share feature was not originally a part of the app Um, it was added after users started doing that cool little letter grid things themselves and so it's just sort of this nice i don't know a game that sort of goes against the way games are usually made these days when i made quina which is uh built with nux 2 um, I, I kind of had the same thing in mind. All of the data it stores is local storage. And I, I toyed with going with something like Firebase or having a database or a user authentication system, that sort of stuff, so that you could you know, track your stuff between devices or whatever it might be. But it wound up being really complicated. It wound up being um, a lot of added security concerns. And I, I thought, you know, this this feels like it should be something simple and something that people can just enjoy and not have to worry about data or privacy or anything like that. So I wound up scrapping that. And it's just kind of funny. These, uh, these two ideas are just winding up sort of coalescing as kind of a result of the pandemic, honestly. Like I remember spending many nights on the couch, just coding Quina as a hobby and uh, releasing it eventually. I think I started in August and released it in December, but just as a way to kind of keep focused on something, keep something moving at a time when it seemed like nothing was moving and nothing was changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's lots of time to, to do stuff like that. So is this open source or are you keeping it closed source for now? Is there um, something like people can contribute to or how's you just sort of keeping it just you? You know, I have gone back and forth on that. Um, I decided, so... The I should mention the app itself is a uh, progressive web app, um, and you can load it at the URL is quina.app, Q-U-I-N-A, but it is also on the Google Play Store if you want to download it there, and that was part of the impetus for creating it was just seeing, hey, can I get an app in the store? Because there's a lot of ways out there to take a web app and sort of package it up as an Android app. And that was cool and everything, but there's a whole lot of learning and even some like security keys and stuff like that that go along with that. So I, given that that's a part of the repo, I was, I was a little cautious about open sourcing it. And I, um, I don't know, I think I was a little bit hesitant to, it's the biggest project that I've ever worked on. So in the beginning, I was a little hesitant to like, let people, you know, be that close to it. But now I'm thinking, I don't know, it's, it's out there. I should just open up the repo probably like, somebody wants to take it and make their own version oh well right so from a technical standpoint in uh next how are you how are you doing this is there anything i mean what's your basic structure is uh i've never created a, a pwa with next before so oh yeah uh, how, how, how's the structure of the app from a next standpoint that's a great question so one of the many 
fantastic modules available to you in Nuxt is a PWA module. So it did a lot of the work for me. It was largely a matter of just making sure I had the right images and formats available and kind of defining the right uh, properties in a config object. As far at a technical level, so there's a number of settings. Like there's obviously you got to have dark mode in any app you build, but there's a number of like difficulty adjustments and preferences for how you play the game too. Those are all tracked in the store, the VX store, because they might be used, you know, um, on multiple pages. Mm-hmm. And then the game itself is one page of the app, and and like the preferences is another page, and um, your stats and game history are another page. So that store can then, you know, pass that data through to all of those pages. And um, that's kind of really the central idea of it. Um, oh, and uh, so anytime you write to the store, there's a method that also saves whatever you're saving to local storage as well, since the either the PWA or the installed uh, Android app will just save your game history, you know, wins, losses, streaks, all that stuff locally so that you can go back and say, oh, yeah, I've, I've won 77 games and lost 13 or whatever it is. And um, it's all just saved on the device. There's no database or anything like that. Unfortunately, that means if you lose your device or upgrade or something, you're going to lose your progress. But I feel like that's probably a small price to pay for just knowing that, hey, I don't have to worry about data security or privacy or anything like that. So what are you using for your word generation then? Do you have like a pre-built cool. list or are you hitting an external <laughs> API or where does that come uh, from? Yeah, so it's a great question. I found, let's see, the words themselves, I pulled from two different word dictionaries and I'm, I know one of them was the Scrabble word dictionary and I can't remember what the other one was, but it was a similar but not quite as strict word game. And um, I... Really, what I did was just copied all the words, um, used some VS Code shortcuts to put them all into an array, and then used JavaScript array methods to filter and um, sort and create new sets out of the letters so that I could see which ones qualified and which ones didn't, and then kind of uh, spent some time manually going through and making sure none of them were, you know, super obscure words that just nobody's ever heard of. So yeah, it's in the end, the end result of that is just a single array constant that I export from within the app. Actually, there are a few different ones. Um, There's, uh, depends on how you want to play the game. There's a, a normal word set, and then there's a tricky word set that has some words that are a little more obscure or have a little tougher spellings in the context of this game Hmm, okay so what do you use for hosting the app it is actually just deployed statically on netlify Um, there is netlify okay yeah and it's that's kind of the cool thing about doing so I, i mentioned the android thing um Google has this library called Bubble Wrap that you can use to just, appropriately enough, wrap up a PWA and um, with some other inputs and stuff, it will just kind of embed it into an Android app. You basically have an Android app that's nothing but an embedded web browser, um, and that's called a TWA app, and that's what we did here. Um, And I have forgotten where I was. Oh, um, and the nice thing about that approach is that 
anytime I need to update, I don't need to update anything on the Google Play Store. It's still the same app. I can just update what's deployed to Netlify and it's already kind of taken care of for me. The downside is uh, Apple will let you nowhere near their app store with uh, this approach. Um, <laughs> but there are, pro- there are projects to make that a little easier. Uh, I considered some, um, like, uh, I, don't, I don't remember how prevalent Ionic was at the time, but I looked at some similar things. And even now, Microsoft has a project, I think, called pwabuilder.com, if I remember right, where they will, no matter what you want to deploy to, if you've got a valid PWA, they will kind of help walk you through whatever the process is to actually turn that into a valid app, which is pretty cool. So if you wanted to deploy something to a Microsoft Store, that's what you'd have to use? I think Microsoft Store actually allows PWAs as is, but they have them for Apple and for uh, Google as well. Okay. All right. Anything else about the app that you want to talk about before we move on to picks? No, I just, uh, I hope people give it a try uh, if they enjoy word games. I There is a component of it where you can donate money to me if you want to, if you enjoy the game. You don't have to do that. You can enjoy all of its features for free if you want to. But I, I really, I just hope people enjoy the game. If you if you are playing Wordle and you want to get your fix for five-letter word games in <laughs> uh, more than once a day, give it a shot. Yeah, I think the last game I used to play like this was, and this been 10 years ago, Words with Friends. Mm-hmm. It was sort of a Scrabble type thing where you could play with other people. And- I, uh, yeah, I, I was... I was a, a waiter and bartender when Words with Friends was big, and I, I remember getting in trouble for playing at work more than once. <laughs> yeah, the thing about those games, I think that makes them so popular is that they're quick and easy to play. You know, it's not like you have to sit down at a game console for two hours and, you know, get totally involved. You can just sort of whip it out and try to play it real quick. And Yep. And you're standing in line at the store or, you know, out and about or whatever. So, yep, they, they certainly have their... Their niche for sure. Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for that blog post and the game and talking about that. Let's move on to picks. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. So picks are where we talk about things that we like, which don't have to be tech-related. They can be tech-related. In my case, they're almost never (laughs) tech-related. But uh, we'll let the guests go first. And so why don't you tell us what you've got for picks today, Josh? Sure. I have have a tech-related and a non-tech-related one, if that's cool. Uh, There is a blog post. I made a joke earlier about NFTs, and, and I've been learning about the whole sort of 